let me review what happened at the bottom of, of AD4B, and then we'll go on to AD5A. So what the Gemara was talking about is a scenario in which you have most of the people are not Jewish, do you, but one person is Jewish, right? And you have what we would call a roiv, non-Jews, and a, a miut, Jewish. Now, the question is, are you allowed to violate Shabbos on the possibility that you'll save the one person who is Jewish, right? Or that, sorry, that the one person that you're saving is a Jewish person, right? So Shmuel says yes, okay? So now if you turn to page and Shmuel says to remove the rubble, to remove the mound of stones from on top of it is permitted. Now, where does Shmuel say this? On the first part of this Risa that is quoted on Kusin, If the majority of people are not Jewish, and we assume that the person is not Jewish. Shmuel says, however, that's not true when it comes to saving lives. Because when it comes to saving lives, then we are allowed to assume or treat it as if the person whose life we are saving is a Jewish person. When it comes to Bukach Nefesh, then you have to save the life. Now, why is that so? So the answer is that the rules of Roiv, the rules of majority, which tells us that you're allowed to treat the scenario as if the majority is true, right? In other words, when it comes to probabilities, that's not true. When it comes to probabilities, you say there's a possibility, it's X possibility, it's Y, 46% possibility this, 54% possibility that, right? Okay, so it's more likely, but you can't treat it as if that is the reality, that would be very foolish, right? But when it comes to halacha, when it comes to a Roiv, the majority, as long as it is the type of robe that has been separated from its original place, then what we say is you're allowed to treat the situation halachically as if it follows the majority, okay? So when it comes to saving lives, though, we say any possibility at all of saving a Jewish life and you are on, you know, you're ready to go. They should do that, absolutely. Now, um, so now we said like this. We said, imrev kusim kusim. If the majority of people are not Jewish, then we treat them like a non-Jew. What exactly is this teaching us? What's the, what, what is the, what is it, what, do, what law is being taught? To be able to give the person nevelos, people who have been animals that have been shechted, or not shechted, that have died in a way that is not permitted to be eaten by a Jew, but you're allowed to assume that this person is not Jewish and give them not kosher food. If the majority of people are Jewish, then we have to assume that this person is also Jewish. You can't give them that kosher food. So what is this teaching us? To return to him as lost objects. So the halacha is that if you find a lost object, if you know it belongs to a Jew, you return it. If you know it belongs to a non-Jew, you're not obligated to return it. Why is this so? Because they are, the reason why we return lost objects is not because it still belongs to that person. It belongs to that person because the Torah tells us as that person is your brother, therefore you should return it to him. Okay? So over here, if person is not your brother, not your sister, then you don't return it to them. So if it's not, if it's Jewish, then you return it to him, it, even though you don't know for sure that this person is Jewish. Even if most people are just Israelites, then you're allowed to, re- you're obligated to return it on the possibility that he might be Jewish. Let's say it's half and half, 50% Jewish, 50% not Jewish, feeling like a Jew. For what, what practical ramification? says, For Nizakin. What are Nizakin? Nizakin is for damages. The rule is like this. If you have a Jewish person who has an ox that is gored by a non-Jewish person's ox, right? The non-Jew has to pay full damages. Let's say we'll deal with it both ways, right? So non-Jewish person's ox gores a Jewish person's ox. Jewish person's ox gores a non-Jewish person's ox. So if you have a non-Jewish person whose ox gores a Jewish person, whether that ox was a tam, was a non 
assumed to be a, da a damaging axe or whether he was a muad, someone who was assumed to cause damage. Either way, the non-Jewish person has to pay full damages. If a Jewish person's axe damages a non-Jewish person's axe, he is exempt. So now what's the case over here we're talking about? What's the case? If you say that the axe of the Jewish person ends up going the axe of the non of this person, we're not sure what his status is. Let him come bring a proof that he is not Jewish. I'm sorry, that he is Jewish, and then he'll be able to collect from you. In other words, what the Gemara is now acknowledging is that when it comes to monetary questions, we have a principle, and that principle would supersede any previous rape. That principle is, when it comes to monetary questions, the one who wants to remove from his friend's possession has to bring the proof. So rather, the case like this. It must be that his axe gores our axe. Certainly, he has to pay us one half. Because even if he was Jewish, he would have to pay one half. Even if it was a shard time, he would have to pay one half. Right, A shard that has not become forewarned to cause damage, he still has to pay half damage. Idach Palga, the other half, right? If he's non-Jewish, he has to pay. If he's Jewish, he doesn't have to pay. Like this. The other half, Neymalay, you'd say to him, I see Raya the Lab Yisrael, I never shakal. He says to us, bring me a proof that I'm not Jewish, and then you could collect. Okay? So when we talk about the fact that Mechzal Mechza, it is a, a scenario where if it's Mechzal Mechza, you treat him like a Yisrael. What that means is that when it comes to monetary questions and it's half and half, treat him like a Yisrael. Now it happens to be even if it would be Roiv. Um, non-Jewish, I think you still will not be able to collect from monetary questions. So I think this is probably not the biggest chedesh. I think it's probably the lesser level chedesh. So he said if someone upon whom the, the rubble has fallen, right, the the the, um, the, um, the parallel to what's happening in the news today is, is hard to escape. Micah Amar, what is the case that he's saying if, if you're not sure if it was this person or that person, you're not sure if he's still alive, what are we coming to include? He's saying not only, but even this. Not only does someone have to remove it, when there's a doubt as to whether or not there's someone there or whether or not there's no one there, that if you if knew for sure, as long as someone knows that he's alive, then you have to clear the rubble. But even if there's a doubt if he's still alive, a doubt if he's dead, you still have to remove the, the rebel. And not just if it's a doubt if he's alive or dead and he's an Israelite. Even if you're a doubt as to whether or not he's Jewish, whether or not he's alive, you still have to remove the rubble. It says that if you find him still alive, right, and, and he's underneath the rubble, then you keep on removing it on Shabbos. That if you find him alive, then it's obvious you have to remove it. Even necessary to teach you this, that even if he's only going to live a short time, which is, at this point, doesn't seem to be a chiddush, but as we will see, today's daf is going to deal with the famous question of how do you know you're allowed to violate Shabbos to save someone's life, okay? And therefore, it's going to become a little more clear why this is a chiddush. Here's the point. Let's say you're clearing the rubble off of someone, and the doctor takes one look at him and says, this guy has about two hours left to live. In other words, he's not even going to live that much longer after you take the rubble off. Are you allowed to clear the rubble? You might have thought to say you're only allowed to clear the rubble for someone who can make a recovery. But if someone can't make any recovery, you might have thought you don't clear it at all. The answer is that no, of course you still clear it. Right? Obviously, by the way, that has big ramifications for lots of medical Shabbos questions. Right? This is the source right here from the fact that the Mishnah feels the need to tell us that if you find him still alive, you need to clear the rubble, even if he's going to be dying shortly. But if he's already dead, then you leave him there. This is also obvious. Of course, if he's dead, you shouldn't be removing any rubble. 
is only necessary to teach you the Rabbi Yehuda ben Lakish, according to Rabbi Yehuda ben Lakish. The Tanya, we learned in a Raisa. You do not save a dead body. Let's say you have a dead body in a house, right? They died on Shabbos, and then a fire begins to burn in that house. We learned this in Shabbos. You do not actually save the dead bodies. You let the dead body burn on Shabbos. Unfortunately, sometimes this happens. I heard that you actually do save the dead body. Now, why does Rehuda ben Lakish say that? Even Rehuda ben Lakish only said this, only because he said like this, people are concerned about their dead person, their dead relative, and therefore they might come to put out the fire on Shabbos, which would be an Isra de Araisa. So moving a dead body on Shabbos is only a malacha of mukta, only rabbinic. And putting out a fire is the Araisa. So Rehuda ben Lakish says, I'd rather permit you to violate the rabbinic problem of mukta than in, and so as to ensure that you don't come to violate the Torah problem of putting out a fire. Now, that's only true over there. Over there, if you don't allow him to, to, to take out his dead body before the fire, then he'll end up putting out the fire, which is the Raisa. But over here, they do not allow him to clear the rubble on Shabbos. What exactly is he going to do that will end up becoming a violation of a Torah prohibition? Nothing. So what are you talking about? Why would even Rehuda ben Lakish would agree that if the person is dead, you should not remove the body, even though it is a problem of Kavad HaMes. It is a problem of, it is somewhat of a desecration or an embarrassment to the dead body, but what are you going to do? Until how far does someone need to search to figure out if the person underneath it is alive or dead? Until you read their nose, right? This is actually becomes the source for a very famous conversation as to whether or not, what, what's halakhically considered uh, the moment of death, right? Is it brain damage? Is, is it brain, brain function? Is it ear or is it heart, right? I think those are all possibilities, okay? So if you get up to his nose and you see he's not breathing anymore, you can assume he's dead. The Asia, I mean, other people say, until you see his heart, right? Let's say you're searching, you're searching through the rubble and you find that the people above are dead. Do not assume that the people who are underneath this level are also already dead. Once there was a story. And they found that the people who were above were dead. And indeed the people beneath were still alive. So we see that it's not always linear. Let's say that these machlekas tanaim is the same machlekas tanaim as later. The tanya we learned in the Where does the blood, where does the embryo become created from? Mirosh from its head. as it says, right? So you are the one who took me out of my mother's womb. gazi. What's gazi? Nizracha veheshlichu. It says, cut off your hair, right, and throw it away. The hair is on your head. So we see that this is an understanding that the body is created first from the head. Abishal Amar? No, not true. From its middle, right? From its belly button. And then it goes out in each direction, okay? So this is a, a very important dispute, by the way, that actually gets involved in a very philosophical question of what's the most important thing. Is it the edges that are the most important or is the middle that's the most important? So this seems to be touching on that same idea. You could even say that the, the, everybody agrees with Abashal. Abashal only said this when it comes to Yitzira, that everything goes from the middle and outward. That everything gets created from its middle. Even Abashal would agree that the main, part, the main part of life, of living, comes through the nose, through the breathing. And therefore, that's the only question that we need to ascertain is, is he still breathing? As we know, it says in Bereshus, right, and not in Parshas Bereshus, in Neach, it says this, right, that anyone in whom there was a, a spirit of life in their nose, right, so you see that life seems to be found in the nose. 
is only when it's going from downward to upwards. In other words, if you find his feet first, right, then you should look at the, and then you're, his like hanging upside down, let's say, right? According to one opinion, first look at the, the heart. According to the other opinion, even if you look at the heart, then you still need to wait to see the notes, even if the heart is stopped. But the other way around, even the body of the but if you already searched up until the nose, then you don't need to search any further. It says, anything in which there is still a breath of life in his nostrils. One time they were walking in the road. Levi Hasader, Levi Hasader, Levi Hasader, the one who organizes things. Rabbi Shmuel ben Eishel, Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, Mahalchan Achrayan, and Shmuel, the son of Elazar ben Azariah, is walking after them. Nishala Shaila Zubafneim, and they ask this question to them. Minayin the Pekuach Nefesh Adecha Es HaShabbos. Here you go. This is the big topic. How do you know that Pekuach Nefesh can push off Shabbos? We all know this. It's elementary. We've heard this millions of times. Where do you know this from? Who told you this is Halacha? Nena Rabbi Shmuel, Amr Rabbi Shmuel answers and says, "Doesn't the Torah in b'machteres you must say If you are, if you find a thief tunneling in into someone's house, the assumption is that he's coming and he's ready to kill because he recognizes that someone might kill him otherwise. So he's coming, he's ready to kill. Since he's ready to kill, you are allowed to kill the ganav. This fellow, we're not sure if he came to take your money or came to kill you. And the shedding of blood is going to cause the land to become tame, to become impure. And it causes Hashem to leave B'nai Yisrael. And still you're allowed to save yourself with your life. And certainly, when it comes to pushing off Shabbos to save your life, you're certainly permitted to, okay? So we're going to go through a couple of different answers from the different Tanayim. So let's review that point a little bit more outside. Rabbi Shmuel says, how do you know you're allowed to violate Shabbos to save a life? Well, if you're allowed to even kill someone to save a life on Shabbos, then certainly you're allowed to violate Shabbos to save a life on Shabbos. Why? Because if you're allowed to kill someone, which is one of the worst things that we could possibly do, but if someone's coming to kill you, you're allowed to kill them first. And certainly you're also allowed to push off a different Isra of Shabbos to cause the person to live. Then Rebbe Kiva answers and says a different answer. And when a man comes on to his neighbor in a negative way, right, you should take him even from my Mizbeach, the Kayin, some, somebody, maybe Kayin, maybe not Kayin, who killed someone else and now he's on the Mizbeach, take him. Time for him to die, you take him off the Mizbeach. Only take him when he, right next to my Mizbeach. Once he's actually on top of the Mizbeach, you wait until he's finished. This is only true when one is going to be, his life is going to be lost. But when it comes to saving someone's life, then at that point, you even take someone down from the Mizbeach. Let's say, for example, the only way that this person will be saved is if the, the Kayin, who's on the Mizbeach, can save his life somehow or other. Then you take him down. So in other words, we see from here that for all circumstances, right, you need to take someone down from the Mizbeach for saving lives. When it comes to taking the Kayan down, it's not it's possible that his words will have enough meaning to save a life, for example, when it comes to an aid this question, a testimonial question. And possibly they won't have enough. And still, and we know something else that on Shabbos you do the Abaida in the Mizbeach. Okay, so you have three different values over here. One value is the value of doing Abaidas, uh, you know, working in the Mizbeach, right? Very important. In fact, it pushes off Shabbos. Another thing is saving a life. Saving a life pushes off doing the service. So if saving a life is more important than doing the service, and doing the service is more important than Shabbos, so then saving a life must be more important than Shabbos. Then Rebbe Lezer ba'amar, umam mila shi'echadami masayim ve'abarim ve'shmayna e'varim shab'avdim. Shab'avdim, 
the bris milah happens on one of the 248 different limbs of a person. And still it pushes off Shabbos. Certainly, when it comes to saving an entire life, it pushes off Shabbos. It says in the Torah, you shall keep my Shabbos. I might have thought to say, under all circumstances, there can be no violation of Shabbos. Therefore, the Pasuk says, Ach, only. Which teaches you that sometimes yes, and sometimes no. The son of Yesu says, it is holy to you. He Masura Biyadchem. Shabbos is given into your hands. But you are not given into Shabbos's hands. This is the sixth answer already. It says that it's said in the Torah that Bnei Yisrael safeguard the Shabbos. Amra Torah. Torah says, Chilol of Shabbos Achas Kedei Sheyishmar Shabbos Es Harbe. You shall violate even one Shabbos so as to be able to keep many Shabbosos in the future. If I would have been there, I would have said that my answer is the best answer of all. It's very simple. It says in the Torah, and you shall live by the laws of the Torah. But you shall not die because of the laws of the Torah. Now, if you think about it, some of these answers, they would not have applied to all other types of Isurim. They would not have taught us that all other Isurim are also pushed off. All other prohibitions are also pushed off for saving a life. This Amira's answer is actually going to push, tell you why everything is pushed off, right? It's telling you that the, all the laws in the Torah need to be pushed off to save a life. Rabbi indeed says, according to all these answers, we can have asked questions on them, right? But according to Shmuel's answer, there's no question to be asked. Lest pircha, there's no, no question we could ask. Anything. Now, the Rabbi Shmuel, when it comes to Rabbi Shmuel, Maybe Rabbi Shmuel's answer is wrong because of Rabbah. Dama Rava Rava says, My taima, the machteres, why are you permitted to kill someone coming in to, to attack you when it's only a 50% chance that he's willing to come for your life? Maybe he's only coming for your money. Everybody knows that people do not allow someone else to just take their money, right? Nobody does that. No one just allows someone else to just take their money. And therefore, the person tunneling in, he knows that when the owner of the house sees him, he's going to come out with a shotgun and he's going to be defending himself to the death. And therefore, what he says in his mind is, the fact that he's willing to tunnel into someone's house, by definition, means he's ready to kill you. And the Torah says, So therefore, the, the Torah teaches us, if someone's coming to kill you, you're allowed to kill him. So the only thing that we see from here is that if someone's coming to kill you, you're allowed to kill him. You don't see from here that you can violate Shabbos to save a life. The only thing that you see is, is that if someone's coming to kill you, right? Because how do we know he's coming to kill you? Because by definition, everyone knows that if you're tunneling into someone's house, you have to be prepared to kill. So if you're prepared to kill someone, him, to kill someone, then the owner of the house is allowed to kill you. Ashkechan Badai, we see this is true about a case where it's certain. Safik Minalan, how do you know that this is also true about a doubtful case? Rebbe Kiva can also be disproved. Nami, Dilma Kedabaya, maybe, maybe Rabbi Kiva's proof would be thrown off because of what Abaya says. Abaya says, We give him a couple of other, other um, people, other uh, sages, like this, right? So what happens is the Kayin who's on top of the Mizbeach, why is it that we take him off to give testimony? So he says, We give other sages to him to make sure that indeed is Leda in Mamash Bidvar, to find out is indeed what he's saying right and will actually have implication for the testimony and will save a life. And then we will allow him to come down. Once again, this only helps you when a case of where we know someone is about to die, right? In other words, the case is like this, where you have a Kayan who's doing the service on the Mizbeach. And there's someone who is about to be executed, capital punishment for having done something wrong. And the Kohen is in, has a piece of information that would exonerate him. 
Well, the only way that we're going to take him off the Mizbech is, is if we have Talmud Chachamim come in and test him and ask him, what information do you have? And he tells them over the story, and then they can determine whether or not this is credible testimony. Then he could go give testimony. But if there was just a question of maybe he'll be listened to, maybe he has something to save a life, maybe not, we would not have let him go. And on Shabbos, we're saying that even when it's uh, questionable, maybe, maybe he'll save a life, maybe he won't save a life, maybe it's a Jew, maybe it's not a Jew, maybe he's already dead, maybe he's not already dead, still we allow this. And similarly, in all of these things, we only will be able to find all these proofs of the different Tanaim. We're only able to find a proof to a case where it's a certain result that it will save a life. Suffolk Minolan, how do you know that in a case where it's a doubtful result? According to Shmuel, there is no question that can be asked at all. So it's better to have the Kara, right? Better to have one little peppercorn who knows what he's saying. Right, rather than a whole basket full of uh, gourds, right? So what it's a way of saying is that they have all of these different answers and they're using these different proofs. And Shmuel just has a one simple statement, but that one simple statement is the one that will stand up against all arguments. Now we are up to actual Yom Kippur, what it is mechaper for, what it is not mechaper for. Like this, the chatas and the asham vaday, right? You have a chatas is a carbon that is brought for a for an offering, an offering that is brought for a, a, um, an action that was done, not realizing that it was forbidden, right? If you realize that it was forbidden, it would have been a chiv of skila, right? Uh, to be stoned, to be killed, but not, you didn't know that, and therefore you bring a chathas when you did unintentionally and find out what you did. And asham is a guilt offering. Vaday mechapren. They will certainly achieve atonement for you, right? So if someone has done something wrong and they bring a chathas or an asham when they're supposed to bring it, it will achieve atonement for you. Misa v'yem ekipurim, mechaper min matshuva. Misa, death, and Yom Kippur will be mechaper together with repentance. Tshuva mechaperas alaveris kalis. Tshuva by itself, repentance by itself, will be mechaper for small types of averus. We'll see what that means. Alaseva alaisase, on a regular positive commandment that you did not do, and on a regular negative commandment. Balachamuris, hutayla achi yavyem ekipurim v'yechaper. But the more stringent, more severe um, Averos, you're not going to be uh, atoned for until Yom Kippur comes and is mechaper for atones for it. Someone says, I will sin and then I'll do tshuva, I'll sin, I'll do tshuva. Hashem will not allow him the time to do tshuva. Someone says, I will sin and Yom Kippur will achieve atonement for me, Yom Kippur will not achieve atonement. If you do a sin between us and God, the vertical type sins, then Hashem can forgive us with Yom Kippur. But if you do a sin between you and your friend, Hashem cannot forgive on his behalf. The only way you get forgiveness is when you go and ask him and you appease him. From all of your sins in front of Hashem, you shall be purified. The sins that are between you and God, that Yom Kippur will be for. Averis between us and our fellow man. Yom Kippur does not achieve anything until Hashem, until we ask for forgiveness and appease our friend. Right? How fortunate are you, Israel? In front of who will you become purified? Who will purify you? Your father who is in heaven. And I will throw upon you the, uh, the waters of purity and it will purify you. And he says, Mikveh Yisrael Hashem. The hope of the of B'nai Yisrael is Hashem. Ma mikvah matar eschem, a mikvah, a ritualarium, right? The mikvah, 
Metares it purifies the impure. Afakadosh Baruch Hu Metares Yisrael. So to Hashem purifies Bnei Yisrael. How fortunate we are that Hashem Himself purifies us. So we said like this: When you have an Asham, you have a carbon that is brought for a sin that you certainly did, then it will atone for you. But a sin that you did that you're not sure if you did it or not, and you're not sure, so therefore you have to bring a carbon which you might have done something wrong. It actually does not fully atone for you. What do you mean? It's written about a forgiveness that it will achieve forgiveness for you, atonement. When you do a sin for which you bring a regular carbon ashram because you know for sure you did something wrong, then it atones for you fully. When you do a sin for which you're not sure if you did it or not, and you bring what's called the ashram poly, a dependent, a uh, hanging ashram, then it is not machaper for you fully. Inami, or alternatively, hanach in, ein acher machaper kaparasin. The, the, um, the carbon chatas and a carbon asham, then another person can actually help bring this atonement. Asham tali acher mechaper chaperasim. But in the case of the of an offering that is brought when you're not sure as to whether or not you did something, then nothing else can actually affect their atonement. Not, as we learned in the Mishnah. chatas If somebody was liable to a chatas or an asham, right, and they knew for sure they did something wrong, and then Yom Kippur passes in between, chayavin, they're still obligated to bring up their carbonis. Ashamais fluent peturin. In the case of someone who's obligated to bring a carbon asham poly, an asham where you're not sure if you did something wrong, then if Yom Kippur passes, you are going to be exempt. We said that death and Yom Kippur together are going to atone for you if you also did tshuva. Together with tshuva, they will atone, but by themselves, they will not. We can see that this is not like Rebbe. The Tanya, or well, let's try to say it's not like Rebbe. The Tanya will learn the Rebbe says, this is the this would be very, very nice, right? That any type of Avera in the Taira, whether you did Shuva or not, Yom Kippur is going to be Mechaper, except for Chutzmi Pairag Oil or U Megala Panabatera, except for someone who is Pairag Oil, either who rebels against Hashem, or someone who is Megala Panabatera. Megala Panabatera means to act in a very, very Chutzpidika way to the Taira. Those two Averas so are the only Averas Yom Kippur is not going to be Mechaper for. But Rebbe says that you don't even need Shuva. Yom Kippur is Mechaper by itself. Umayfair bris, or alternatively, Umayfair bris Abraham. Someone, Umayfair, I'm sorry, bris Basser. If someone is going to, someone is not going to do the bris, right, of, of Abraham. You know, Shim Asa, Chuva, if he does Chuva, Yom Kippur Machaper. Then, if he repents and Yom Kippur, then that works. Yom Leas, Chuva, and Yom Kippur Machaper. But if he's not the Chuva, Yom Kippur is not going to be Machaper. I feel the Rebbe. You can even say the Rebbe agrees. Tshuva by even Rebbe says Chuva by Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur lay by Chuva. What it means to say is like this when our Mishnah said is, our Mishnah said that. Tshuva without Yom Kippur doesn't do the trick. That doesn't tell you that Yom Kippur without Tshuva doesn't do the trick. Maybe our Mishnah could even be like Rebbe, and Tshuva without Yom Kippur doesn't do the trick, but Yom Kippur without Tshuva could do the trick. And that is indeed what we paskin. The question is, what do we paskin when there's the, the Yom Kippur that we talk about over here is the Yom Kippur when the Kayin Gadol is bringing Karbanas in the Besamekdash, which we don't have anymore. Tshuva can be mechaper for the lighter types of, 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 of uh, you know, transgressions, the ones of uh, positive commandments, the nullification of positive commandments, and also the lower lower level um, violations of the negative commandments. Even it can even achieve atonement for a loisase, right, a negative commandment. Then you need to teach you that it can also bring atonement for a positive one. Amar of Yehuda, Yehuda would say, "Hachikamis, we have to say." What it's going to teach you is, and if you have to do a positive commandment or a negative commandment that has the ability to be removed by doing a positive commandment. In other words, it says in the Torah, lo sigzel, you're not allowed to steal. But it says that if you do steal, hashev eshagzela, you shall return the, the iser, right? So that means there is a positive commandment that will wipe away the negative act. 
But seemingly the only types of, um, of negative acts that it, it can wipe away for you with just tshuva by itself, just repentance itself, is for those types of losa says, but not for any losa say that's more stringent. And is that true? For Aminu, that's a contradiction. Elohim Kalis, these are the lighter types of Isurim. Either an Asay, a positive commandment that you ended up nullifying, or a negative commandment, except for the negative commandment that you should not take Hashem's name in vain. This, this seems to be teaching us that all other negative commandments are also included in what we call the Averis Kalis, that when you do Tshuva, it wipes it away. When it says lo sisa is not included, it doesn't just mean you shall not take Hashem's name in vain. It means you should not take Hashem's name in vain and everything which is similar, which includes all other regular lo says, regular negative commandments that are not what we call the category of a lo say and nitika say, a negative commandment that has the ability to be removed. So basically what we're saying right now is the only type of, of iser, only type of um, chet, right, sin, for which Tshuva by itself will take away the sin is what we call an assay or a let's say right? A positive commandment that was nullified or a negative commandment that had the ability to be removed by doing a positive commandment. Okay.